0: It's only 15 days into it. Seems like the new year is already flying by or grinding on if you look out and you see the brown. It seems to me that new year's resolutions are already in the rear view mirror and we've still got a whole year to go. So if this year is going to be any different than last year, it won't be because I do a better job of making a list. Starting a new year in an organization is a lot the same way. You have a chance to say, What did we miss? What did we do? What do we need to do this next year? And usually, the way that the executive tries to get people excited is to talk about something new the next big thing, or a program that will change everything, a building that will lead us to a new place. I've done that in years past. Sometimes good, sometimes it flops. It seemed to us this year that instead of talking about the next big thing, what would help us is to be clearer on why we come into this building at all. Why you politely, <clears throat> why you politely shuffle in, sit down, listen to good music, recite again creeds and prayers and go out. What's this supposed to lead toward? It seems to me that it's not a big program, it's this. You might know better where you're going if your vision were better. So we thought that we would spend the first three weeks of the year talking about our vision. This eye chart, maybe a little hard to follow when you you just glance at it, but it starts with the most important thing. The big letters spell out, follow Jesus. In other words, the start of our vision is that we are following Jesus, inspiring all generations to follow Jesus. And we talked about that last week, saying that that's what faith is, not just beliefs about some invisible God, but trusting that there is a God and that you can get to know that God by following Jesus, getting as close as you can. We talked about Rabbi Jesus and how the ancient students of the law would get as close to the rabbi as they could so they would become like the rabbi, and we said, this year what would make your life different is if you could get the dust of the rabbi on you because you were following him so close through the path of life. Today we'd like together to take the next step in this vision. That that bottom line says actually live missionally if you're following Jesus where does he want you to go let me ask you to take out your Bibles there there are Bibles in each of the pews in front of you please take them out and turn to Matthew chapter 10 that's the first book in the New Testament it's around page 1450 Matthew chapter 10 it's right in the middle of the story of Jesus and if you're starting to tell a story, you don't start right in the middle. You don't just open a page 176 and start reading. You need to know what's happening in the story. So right before Matthew 10, this is what happens. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, preaching and healing. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed. The crowds were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. That sets the stage for this part of the story in Matthew 10. Followers of Jesus are Jesus' workers in the field. If we follow Jesus, we're supposed to be the agents for a hurting world. People harassed and helpless. And uh, and so then, Matthew 10 is where he gives them instructions, but he doesn't do it in a church service. He, he does it in a way that shakes them up, I hope. Maybe he'd take them to Starbucks, but more, I thought, what if Jesus were to give his assignment like Mission Impossible? Anybody see the old TV series or any of the movies, Mission Impossible? You've seen it. The music, dum, 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 dum. I love it. And remember how the instructions are given for the next thing? It, it, it always comes in some very ingenious way. And, and it, it says, here's this impossible thing for you to do. And uh, you know, of course, that if you fail, <laughs> you're on your own. See you later. And this message is going to self-destruct in 15 seconds. I love that in Mission Impossible. But if Jesus did it, He'd say, this mission is possible. It's being given to you by the God who made everything and knows you. This mission will not, this message will not self-destruct in 15 seconds. It'll still be there. I ask you to underline it. Because for 2,000 years, the message has been the same. And in the same way, if you fail or you are captured by the enemy, you will not be abandoned on this mission. The one who gave you the mission will come and get you and say, let's try again. What we'd like you to do here in this church is to underline parts of the Bible so the people who come after you can say, they try to take this seriously. So grab a pen or a pencil, if you would, please, and underline Some parts of Matthew chapter 10. This is Jesus' instructions to his Mission Impossible team. Verse 1. Jesus called his twelve disciples and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. If it's not already underlined, underline these words. Jesus called. Jesus doesn't just sit on the page. He calls to you. And it says, and he gave them authority. So you are doing what you're supposed to be doing because you have the authority of God. Then Jesus names all the disciples. And in verse 5 it says, then Jesus, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. These are not options. These are instructions. If you believe in Jesus and you follow Jesus, these are your instructions. This is for them. The principles are for us. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Just go to the lost sheep of Israel. So, on this mission, they were supposed to stay close to home. The time for going to the ends of the earth would come, but it wasn't yet. That's round two. Verse seven. As you go, proclaim this message. This is our message. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And then... Just to show that it's not talk, everybody can talk. He wants his followers to be a life-changing blessing. Proclaim the message and then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out the demons. Freely you've received. Freely give. Then he has got. To, he knows us. So he has a word about motives. Watch your motives, Jesus says. Don't get any gold or silver or copper or take things with you in your belt. No bags or shirts or sandals or staff. You're worth your keep. Whatever town or village you enter, look for a worthy person. Stay with them. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is deserving, let your peace rest upon it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Then he's got a whole long section in the instructions, verses 14 to 38, where he says, Expect opposition. This mission is hard because you will be opposed. Now, if you're following Jesus into the world, you will be opposed. If I were reading this in India or Africa or Indonesia, parts of Latin America, they would understand and shake their heads yes. We're going, I guess this part's not for us, right? We're in America. One of the scholars I I read says, it's interesting how little opposition we face here. But we should say, not so much. Isn't it a shame the rest of the world isn't as tolerant as we are? But we should ask ourselves, is this a sign that Christianity in the West has somehow been so compromised to culture that there's nothing to oppose anymore? That we're just invisible? We're just like everybody else? Opposition. Fourteen. If anybody won't welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off. I'm sending you like a sheep among the wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Stay on guard. You'll be handed over to other people. To councils and flogged in the synagogues, brought before governors and kings, arrested and questions. Don't worry what to say. Don't be afraid. They're after the master. They'll be after you. Then verse 38, underline this, verse 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. If you thought of nothing else the rest of the day, what does that mean? Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I love the way Jesus ends his instructions. He says this, Anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. We are sent people. We are sent out into the world. This is Jesus' first description of our mission statement. Following Jesus, loving others, living missionally. People who are sent out, Who don't stay in church are living missionally. The church in here, according to Jesus, must bring the kingdom out there. Proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven is here. The need is great. The workers are few. And it comes, this talk of the kingdom of heaven, it comes from the king. I love that line of Abraham Kuyper. There's not one square foot on planet Earth where King Jesus does not walk over and say, this is mine. And he wants us to come with him to reclaim the territory. Jesus walks with his followers following Jesus. He sends us out. He debriefs us when the mission is over. He, By the way, that's another reason to come here for worship. We're supposed to review the week. We're supposed to see where we messed up and where we succeeded, where God showed up in ways we didn't didn't expect, and we're supposed to get new instructions. Instead of having church be a place where ministry happens, it's supposed to be a locker room. Church is supposed to be the locker room. At halftime, you come in, you're all dinged up, you get bandaged, you get refreshed, you get new instructions to go out and play again. So people are supposed to go out. Missionally is where you just take what is proclaimed to you, what you've received, and share it with others. You proclaim it to others. Sometimes you're supposed to go way out, like the go trips on that bulletin. You go someplace you've never been. But usually, Jesus' instructions are nearby. Don't go to the ends of the earth. Start right here, he said. It's how Laura showed the kids. Live as if God was sending you out. I, I, um, I got this fairly early. I came back to following Christ at the end of high school, beginning of college. And really the main way that I came back was I found a group of young men and women who had something that I really wanted. They... They felt loved, and they loved each other. They didn't have to impress each other. They were healthy enough to tell when they messed up. And I became best friends with Bill Jackson. Jackson played football. He was a co-captain of the team. He had the kind of life that I wanted, and so I, I hung around him a lot, and we became good friends and uh, Bill uh, lived in what I would assume is a very modest home. Now, I, if I drove by it today, it's in Park Ridge. It's about two blocks from Hillary Rodham Clinton's house, and and uh, I, I would drive by today and say, "What a small little house!" He had a single mom. She was much older. She looked like his grandma rather than his mom, and uh, and yet that house was special for me. I have I have told you how. Um, My parents, great people, but uh, alcoholics. And um, shortly after I became a follower of Christ, I would find myself, not all the time, but once in a while, sneaking out of my house at night, going over to the Jackson's house, opening the window, climbing into Bill's bedroom and sleeping on the couch. He'd wake up in the morning, "Yo, what are you doing here? And I, I... I would, half the time that I went over, sneak out for Ma Jack's would catch us. And the other half of the time I'd sleep in and she'd throw a pillow at Bill and hit me. And, um, and, and I, I distinctly remember one morning, she said, John, John, get up. Hey, have breakfast with us. I love breakfast at Ma Jack's house. They ate in this tiny little kitchen my family had much more money They they had in this tiny little kitchen, and it was just, it was safe. We're having breakfast, and she's saying, so how you doing? What are you, what are you I'm going away to college. What do you expect will be different? And, uh, and I had, uh, the night before, brought a date home, finally, uh, and... Don't say finally like I couldn't get a date, all right? That's not where this story's going. I had a date. I finally brought this girl that I've been dating for several weeks home to meet my mother. And, uh, and she was passed out, and the, the cigarette had burned the couch. And I was just... I was so embarrassed. My mother was brilliant and loving and great. And broken. So I snuck out, I slept at Jax's house, and now she's asking, How are you doing? And I found myself saying, Well, Ma, Ma, Jax, it sucks at home. I didn't know how to talk like a preacher back then. <laughs> my mom, she's not like you. My mom, she just, you know. At, at, I don't even know how much I said, but I didn't get much out. And Ma Jacks, this grandma type, stops me and she goes, Now John, 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 your mom is trying her best. And she loves you. And, uh, and you need to go home today and you need to find things that you respect about your mom and tell her. Because that's what God-honoring sons do. I'll never forget that phrase. That's what God honoring sons do. This woman was living missionally without even leaving her kitchen. She was proclaiming what God honoring sons do and modeling it for me. Forty years later, I'm telling you. Living missionally is proclaiming the difference that Jesus makes and modeling. How Jesus blesses other people. The greatest privilege of my entire life has been spending the last 20 plus years with you, Laura and I, have seen in this community images of people living missionally. It's often right here in the building. My Like my first year here, second year here, we're still uh, worshiping in the old sanctuary and uh, I don't have to preach that day so I... Uh, I'm walking around seeing the Sunday schools and I hear that a kid has swallowed a toy uh, in the nursery. And so I run over there and by the time I, hey folks, if you ever want to have a heart attack, have it right here. You know, if you get sick, get sick here. More nurses and doctors per square foot here than in a lot of houses. (laughs) By the time I get there, there are two doctors standing over this young boy and much better, three nurses right around the boy. And they've uh, they've got this little boy, and uh, the the toy is out of his throat, and he's breathing. And mom is off of the roof; she's down, and she's fine. Everybody's going to be okay. And it was just neat to to stand at the door and watch. And uh, twenty plus years ago, I, I won't forget, and I I, I, I won't forget because he's here. One of the doctors turned to the other, and in just like the totally matter of fact way, said, "Okay." Um, I'll take him to the hospital, and you take my kids to the club for lunch, and I'll meet you there. And I was just like, that's not a doctor. Doctors are medical professionals. This isn't a doctor. These were two healers who modeled the love of Jesus Christ, who blessed other people in ways that were better because they were matter-of-fact. And then, uh, and then this week, I see living missionally uh, all, all around us. We had a worship service here this last week, and Rich was telling me the story of one of the things that happened was that he uh, he came up to a teacher. They said hi. Uh, he turned to this teacher and he said, "Hey, did you hear that a little so and so's grandpa died, and he's having a hard time with it?" And Rich said he walked into the room and saw this with his arms around the boy's shoulder talking to him about his grandpa and the kid came up to Rich and said, you know, he told me about how my grandpa was in heaven living missionally. Right there. Uh, Tuesday morning Bible study. Businessman hears about one of his friends losing a job. Tells me afterwards, you know, I, we had coffee and I, I gave him all the contact information. I came in with a card of, here are four people you should talk to. And then he said, I feel like I can't do anything else, but I'll pray for you. He said, John, I walked away from there feeling stupid, like I had given him this little, I'll pray for you, cliche. And I said, that was the most important thing you did. That was what he really needs to hear, that somebody is putting him into the hands of, Of the God of heaven and earth, that's better than any good advice. Living missionally. Yesterday, well, day before yesterday now, I got an email from a woman in our church who is probably somewhere in her 40s, single, um, dating again. She sent me this email saying, I've met this guy and I like him, we like each other, but I'm not going to do this again. He uh, he doesn't believe in God, but I like him, and he likes me. So give me some good books that I can use to tell him about God, because he'll read the books because he likes me. <laughs> That's living missionally. She so said, "I'm not going to do that again. I want to have this God that I know make a difference in our life together, or there won't be a life together." You know what missional living is? It's, uh, it's following the king wherever you go. My mentors probably are Gordon and Gail McDonald. Gordon's been the pastor of big churches and inter president and all that kind of stuff. But for a season of his life, where he had screwed up, he was the pastor of a small church in New York City and would take uh, the bus in and out of the city every day to his apartment. And because they took the same bus they got to know, Gordon Gale got to know some of the bus drivers. And so one day, they had four of the bus drivers over to their apartment before work for breakfast. And um, some of them, not all of them, but some of them were Christ followers. And uh, they, one of the bus drivers says, hey, this is really nice. You know, it, it must be cool to be a pastor. Go all over the world, tell people. He says, you know, my job, it's boring, and it's filled with stress, and... And people yell at you all day, that's just riding a bus. And, uh, and Gordon, in one of those little spirit-led things, says, all right, think about it this way. What if tomorrow morning, while the buses are warming up, you know, you have to warm up the bus before you, what if tomorrow morning you got up, walked down the aisle and said, Lord, this is going to be a portable sanctuary today. You have made this a sanctuary and I want this to be a place where Christ's love will touch somebody through me. What if you did that? Instead of driving a bus around the city, drive a sanctuary around the city. Four of them are there and one of them mutters. He says, well, I, I, I suppose we could try that. You know, the same enthusiasm you so often show. In the weeks that follow, the McDonald's... Uh, would occasionally get on a bus operated by one of the four drivers, and as they were paying their fare, they'd quietly say, hoping that nobody else would hear, well, what are you doing? Are you driving a sanctuary or a bus? And the bus drivers got to the place where they go, it's a sanctuary, man. It's a sanctuary. Sometimes when the driver saw one of the McDonald's getting on the bus, he'd say, welcome to my sanctuary. And a few months later, one of the drivers that had not said, let's give this a try came to Gordon and said, you know, this sanctuary thing. Yesterday, a guy got on the bus and he started to curse me when I wouldn't stop because I couldn't stop in the middle of the block. You know something? There was a day where I would have stopped the bus and gotten off and said to this guy, right here, let's do it. But I, I kept driving to where it was legal to stop and I opened the door and I said, sir, have a nice day. I'm really glad that you were aboard. And, uh, Gordon says, I I wanted to affirm this guy for his patience. He says, oh, ain't no big deal. Not that difficult when you're driving a sanctuary instead of a bus. It had started to sink in. Could your office ever be a sanctuary even for five minutes? Could you drive a sanctuary that looked like a minivan with kids in it? There is the test. How about your kitchen table? Could it be a sanctuary? Can Jesus send you out to build sanctuaries that bring life and health where people want to come in to have hope? Jesus gives specific instructions because it's hard to live like this. It's hard. It's not religious. It's hard. And because we mess up and because the world resists all the time. But you're not being called to go out and be Tim Tebow's. Uh, Tim is, I think, a delightful follower of Jesus. We'll we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But that's not your call. You have a different call. Are you going to do that this afternoon and tomorrow? Or are you just going to go to church? Jesus calls us and he says, follow me. Pick up that cross over there. I'd like to end with a couple of pictures of what following me looks like 2,000 years later. Before we do that, I'd like to pray that one of them or both of them will open the eyes of your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have not given us Mission Impossible, that the instructions don't blow up, and that you don't You don't run away when we blow it again. But you keep calling us to proclaim the kingdom of heaven and to bring little pieces of it to earth. I pray that my friends here in retirement homes will create sanctuaries and the kids who go to school will be your ambassadors. I pray that these stories We'll open the eyes of our heart in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost.